namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa buddhang dhammang sanghang masami <clears throat> so we're coming to the end of our last few weeks of our rains retreat and uh, really it's not so unusual in that it rains almost all the time in England these days <laughs> so <laughs> got 11 month monsoon and the time the retreat rain retreat really began in India because of this three months of the rains in which it wasn't a good idea to move around but now that idea really doesn't pertain but one of the things that um, is uh, most um, characteristic of our, our rains retreat is that we do a lot more reflections and instructions on vinya training the whole path of ethical interest, concern understanding effects, how we affect, how we get affected, how these effects in our mind can cause impulses to arise and um, cause harm, loss of faith, loss of trust in each other and in a sort of rather unpleasant residues in our own minds. So this kind of uh, concern to look into this aspect of experience, behavior, and you know the Buddha taught this very much as uh, he didn't really separate it, the vinya from the dhamma. He said he always taught dhamma vinya. Dhamma, we might say, is about the uh, penetration to the truth of the nature of the mind. The vinya is about understanding the behavior of the mind. And uh, so there's these two aspects, we might say, of mind. Behavior, which is all the stuff that's coming and going. And we might say the nature, which is just that awareness that receives witnesses, uh, that which comes and goes. You know? You probably all could recognize those two references. And uh, certainly when we meditate we put a lot of emphasis on tuning into that awareness that witnesses. Um, But just to be witnessing, uh, you know, thoughts and feelings and unpleasant things and unskillful things is great. But, you know, it it isn't some kind of final release from them. It's a very important seed point because it begins to place real value and a centering in the in the quality of watching and non-attachment. But that, that sense of non-attachment has to really be deepened right into what is causing things to arise in the first place. Why are thoughts and moods, emotions and passions and worries and fears and sadness coming up? You know, there's a causal basis there. 
So it's, it's very good. You, you watch them, witness them. But you also try to penetrate to witness where they're coming from, why they're arising. They're causally arisen. And there are causes that we may be you know, supporting that we're not really aware of. We're doing it unconsciously. It kind of gets instinctively built in. You know? So the Buddha says, well, this mind is by nature pure, but it gets defiled by these adventitious defilements. These kind of these defilements, these blemishes that keep moving across it. You know, so this is what we experience. And, you know, in some way the good news is, well, there's this pure nature of mind, this is great. Bad news is <laughs> defilements <laughs> coming and going. And one has to resolve this really by bringing full attention onto the causal, effective behavior of the mind. I mean, there's that can be, uh, you know, really looked into. And so there's some of these reflexes of, of um, you know, anxiety and irritation and grasping and uh, self-conceit and self-disparagement. And this can actually be, you know, seen through so they don't have to keep happening mind can be released from that. So it's really important that we use the clarification of non-attachment to to really look into behavior, this mental behavior. And you need that, you need, this is a kind of meditative process, is is to bring around that dispassionate, spacious, non-judgmental uh, awareness comes to the fore. So you really can, but then it's not just to dwell in that, but also to start to, to use that to, to review what's happening. Yeah. So, and so the Buddha recommendation is that one does actually review daily, maybe several times a day, you know, what's been happening for me. Where have I got, you know, a bit reckless or excited or careless about speech or offended people or, you know, what am I li- what am I with right now, you know? And some of often this can sound like a bit uh, over much or even self-blaming, you know, the self-judgment. So there's a big thing about not making self-judgments. But this isn't really a self-judgment. It's not a judgment about self at all. It's an assessment of behavior. <laughs> yeah. And so the Buddha not, wouldn't So he say, you know, you're not talking about fundamental self here. You're talking about behaviors that cause effects. That are that linger in one's own mind and in the other people's minds. So let's get that sense of it. It's neither ultimately significant, nor can you say it's insignificant. You know, it's it's of it's as significant as the fact that we still feel confused, we still feel hurt, we still feel loss of balance, and we still can generate that and dump that and impart that to others. 
and if we say this is insignificant then we really are not going to be waking up at all on any level you know what what's happening on this planet <laughs> behavior you know, is is significant so can we bring if it is significant what's happening in burma what's it significant what's happening in zimbabwe if it's significant what's happening in israel isn't it significant what's happening in our own minds? Where else do all these strife, and conflict, and violence come from? But human minds. You know? so we take this, um, you know, this whole process as being extremely significant, and yet because it's significant, you don't want to be doing it in a kind of from some attitude. You know, like you've got to be perfect, or you shouldn't look at your own mind, or doesn't really matter, you know, but really, behavior is this, it's this, it's this, it's this, what's going on, what's going on. Yeah. One of the, one of the um, difficult things, I think, for, I would suggest, for many people about behavior is that it gets, um, Judgment, and uh, something that I think has been commented upon many times by Buddhist teachers, particularly Asian Buddhist teachers, because it, it stands out for them, is how little self-love or self-respect people have. People feel can feel a lot of aversion to themselves, or guilt, or inadequacy. And it just it just lingers like a fog shroud over the mind. Because you're basically not much not much good. You're not as good as you should be. You know. And once you get that view, you start to line up all the things that you did wrong, and you blame yourself, and you dump it down. And you know. And this being a quite a, a common attitude, the inability to see the good. You know. That there was good behaviours. There was. Um, there's brightness, there's integrity, there's honesty, there's definite actions of generosity and patience and sincerity and concern happening. You know? And so this, in a way, because of this imbalance, it makes self-assessment very difficult, because if you only can ever assess as everything you did wrong, it's, it's not going to be a particularly <laughs> experience you want to go through. Periodically. So it's got to be this kind of balanced this is why it's about non-attachment, you know, non-self. Is you just really want to notice the causal things, the causes, the effects that are happening. Yeah. So what does support that is obviously mindfulness and full awareness, but also the general attitude of self-respect. Well, self-respect is a kind of cooler term than self self love but it may be more accurate you know we don't quite you know the word love can mean so many things can't it but sense of self respect hmm. it's characteristic in that the one of the similes the buddha used for dispelling unskillful thoughts one of the ways he talked about it was it's just like um, a beautiful woman or a handsome young man properly dressed and adorned 
in the full flower of the youth is walking around carrying a dead dog around their neck. And they think, oh, what am I carrying this stinking thing? You know, it's not worthy of me, put it down. He says, so this is the way one can regard unskillful thoughts. So many people think, oh, you're a dead dog. But actually don't recognize, you're a beautiful person. You know, you're a beautiful person, you have a beautiful mind. This is not something, this is not worthy of you. Rather than, you idiot, you've got all these crummy thoughts in your mind, there you go, I've told you so many times, why don't you pull yourself together after all these years, bang, 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 you know. So just that bit to say, you know, you're a beautiful person. Say it, you know, but whatever you do, to get some sense of a regard that actually honours, even with these blemishes, honours, if you like, the nature of mind, honours the fact that one even is starting to inquire and be say, well, I want to be responsible. That's worthy of honour, of respect, isn't it? You're not kind of blundering and bluffing and blaming and excusing and wriggling and prevaricating. So I'd like to know, you know. That to me, that's worthy of respect. And so, you know, you, the, the very act of, of this assessment in this in a proper way itself brings up the very sense of respect that in, that makes it possible to do it. <laughs> you know, because if you don't respect yourself then you end up blaming yourself and seeing only the negative. But if there is that sense of self-respect, then you can see, oh, this isn't, this isn't up to scratch. I must have been confused here. I was confused because that's, that's, not, that's not what I want to be. That's not my true, you know, that was mean in some kind of overpowered, lost mindfulness, whatever. Okay, you know, and we can see that, you yeah. know. And so this is very important to get this sense of, of self-respect. You know, or respecting the mind. When you respect something, you treat it with care, don't you? And you treat it with sensitivity and attention. You don't just take it for granted. And you handle things where you're handling things with respect. You handle them in the way that they need to be handled. If you're using tools, you use tools of respect. You know how to handle a tool firmly, clearly, carefully in determining what kind of tool it is. If it's a spade or it's a chisel or a screwdriver or a really fine tool or a whatever it is, you, you handle it in accordance with the way that's appropriate to handle it. You know, that's respect. It doesn't mean you're going to handle a, a hammer like it's an egg whisk. It means you hold it vigorously because it's a hammer. You know. But more refined instruments, you hold them more delicately. So you really know, you really get a sense of this particular behaviour has to be handled in this way. Some of them have to be firmly said, no, stop. You know, others said, you know, wait, stop. You know, other ones, you want to actually, what are you trying to say? You know, you want to inquire into it. Um, so there's, once you get that sense of, of the whole attitude of, of respect, then even 
you know, the way that you handle the what wells up, you know, can be sometimes we don't really understand it. You, know, so you get a lot of, you know, passion rushing up, and it's based upon fear and uncertainty. So you just, just you know, rather than start blaming, you look into that. What is it based upon? Mm-hmm. Sometimes, you know, the most aggressive actions that people come up with is based upon fear. When we get frightened and, and pushed into a corner and feel threatened, then most of us will get a bit violent. You know? It's not because we are intentionally destructive, it's just because it's an intense state of fear or threat that comes up. So, you know, how do you handle these things? You have to really hold them carefully and look into them. This is the kind of, you know, what we try to encourage. Obviously, the vinya training as such can just get very rule-specific, you know, rule-specific, like learn all these rules. But... um, that isn't really the point. The rules can point out particular places where people have gone wrong and ask us to be more conscious of these areas. But I think what, um, certainly I've been teaching in here for over 20 years, most every year, and noticing that, yeah, there's lots of ways you can do unskillful things without breaking those rules. <laughs> There's all kinds of events that didn't happen in the time of the Buddha. You know, ways in which uh, defilements, our passions, our conceit, our pride, our jealousies can, can manifest. And they're not breaking any rules. Because <laughs> the Buddha didn't lay a rule down about that particular one. You know, So you get these things about rules about ivory needle cases, which obviously must have been a source of great passion and covetousness in the time of the Buddha. I don't give tuppence about an ivory needle case, you know. And then people get, but then they think, oh, I haven't broken any rules about this kind of thing, but then, you know, about having one of these. But then you can get really passionately excited about an MP3 player or, a, um, you know, whatever the, the widget of the month is, and want high quality materials and things of this nature. So you actually try to interpret. You know the, the the attitude behind a lot of these rules and and bring them into play. So you're not just stuck in in some kind of um, rote learning rules, but trying to intuit and understand human basic human behaviours. And then this then this of course is something that this whole spirit is then you know relevant for everybody, whether the monks, nuns, lay people doesn't really matter because we're looking at the same stuff really. You know? And I think one of the one of the problems of the vineyard is is you get a bit you know you get a bit conceited because you've got all these rules you're keeping you know keeping two hundred twenty seven training precepts and they are conceited as hell <laughs> around that I'm a special who's worthy of respect you know As if somehow having more rules makes you more worthy of respect. Why, why is that? 
Does that innately make you any purer? No, it means you've perhaps been offered a particular um, very good um, frame of reference. But then the sense is that doesn't, you know, what's that? The frame of reference isn't yours. It's just, you know, it's one's willingness to use that, any frame of reference, to look into the defilements, the passions of the mind. You know? when we get affected and I think also important to you know that you not that we really look into where we get blind you know how you how you get to know that so one of the helpful video procedures is to be able to to both acknowledge you know to other monks or nuns you know this is where I've lost it gone wrong so at least acknowledge that and also to ask them to tell you the bits you don't see, the bits you haven't seen. It's a very powerful kind of uh, invitation. It's called the invitation, and it's considered a, um, like a privilege to to be able to to have the invitation for to make that and to receive that. It's considered a considerable privilege because the Buddha said, "Well, if you don't get anybody to tell you, how are you going to find out?" You know. He said, "This, if you don't get this, you're finished." He said it like that. He said, "I consider this destruction. If you don't get somebody to tell you where you can't, what you can't see, how can you how can you get to see what you can't see? <laughs> yeah? Unless somebody else says, "Hey, you know, I wonder, did you do you see what happens there?" Yeah. And of course, it's a very skillful procedure because the the thing is, you're not trying to First of all, you're certainly not trying to get even on somebody by, by blasting them with all their faults. Nor are you even really um, judging or saying they've got it. We just want to actually ask them to remember is the spirit of it. Like, I don't know about how you see this, but I saw this. Well, what was happening? Do you, why don't you think about what's happening for you then? Do you want to look at that? You know? And if somebody approaches you like that, you feel really quite privileged. You know, because I think, you know, most of us have quite a lot of fear and nervousness about, you know, reveal, somebody seeing where I've lost it, because they're going to get in there and say, you disgust me. You know, you're supposed to be so virtuous and so high, and you, you, you did this, and you go, oh God, <laughs> you know, you can really get things like that. So you just the, the the wounding that can occur through other people judging. Somebody saying, well, you know, I know you're a person of great integrity, and and um, you know, I think I think perhaps you'd like to know that there's some things that I'm concerned about you. You know, maybe bits you haven't seen. And to acknowledge that there are bits that we don't see. <laughs> you know, you've either got to say you're an arahant, or you've got to acknowledge there's bits you don't see. So if you're not an arahant, if you're not completely enlightened, there's bits you don't see. That, that's just the way it is. So how are you going to see the bits you don't see? <laughs> 
Yeah. I was very, actually, very uh, quite inspired the other week. Somebody, one of the nuns, came to you know, ask to see me. Concerns about things that she saw or felt. You know, I wasn't seeing. You know, in uh, my behaviour. And uh, it was quite beautiful, actually, because you really got the feeling of the person actually um, trusting you enough to consider that you'd want to know. You know, it's marvellous, isn't it, that somebody thinks that you would actually want to know where you're getting it wrong, that you'd like to know that so you could get it right. I mean, it's an incredible act of of trust and uh, respect. Yeah. And say, so, you know, not not only not blaming or judging, but just, well, I'm worried about, you know, there's maybe things you you don't see that, well, you know, could cause you trouble. I don't want you to get into that kind of attitude. You think, wow. And then just trying to, you know, at least bring something to mind and just leave it there. Say, well, you know, what about that? And just leave it there. It's up to you, but. You know, and you think, well, well, I don't mind, I'd like more of that. <laughs> Rather than wincing, you know, walking out the room wounded, pride shattered, but actually, oh, I'd like more of that. You know, how else do you see what you don't see? Yeah. So I was just saying to someone this morning just uh, how, you know, when I was in, I was in Lesotho, which is a little small republic in south, southern Africa, obviously, as you can imagine, poor, and uh, just, I was visiting some friends in South Africa and then they took me up into this little um, tiny little country. And one of the local local lads who'd um, who'd studied English was going to show us around the village. You know, we walk around, went out for a day walk in the mountains, and it's poor, obviously a very poor country. And he took us to some little tiny little settlement, very simple dwellings, you know, and uh, and they. They, some people oh, come in to show us into their hut, very bare hut. You know, the possessions were like two pots, of uh, a small piece of skin to lie down on. You know, very poor place, and a little um, fire circle in the middle where they could build a fire. They needed to cook food or something. Very simple dwelling, and there was a few of them sitting around there, passing around. And, drink of some kind, I think it's kind of low-grade cheap beer they'd made, you know, probably very little alcohol in it, they're passing around, they're standing around, and there's a young guy there, and he was leaning on his stick, and the translator was talking to him, and he was saying how this, this young fellow had, had been to South, been gone and left the village and decided to go to South Africa to get, to get a job, to get some more money. 
and he'd been there and he didn't like the pace of the town he didn't like the busyness and he realised oh you know money isn't everything I'd sooner be with my land and my people and uh, you know somehow that means more to me and he was saying this and I was looking I've got this feeling of coming up in my mind of surprise and I'm like what's that surprise I looked at it I thought I'm surprised because and I suddenly got this shock of I'm surprised because I don't something when I see a poor man with black skin I don't imagine that they could be sensitive <laughs> you know I always imagine he just kind of pretty dim and I didn't wasn't conscious of that and I certainly wouldn't ever say that and yet somehow that kind of fundamental racial prejudice somewhere there creating this assumption of another person oh god you know what did what don't you see you know and you know just actually recognizing that how once we once we start to see each other we stereotype each other in any way already there's a danger signal there there's some ignorance whenever we're saying you know you are anything <laughs> you know rather than seeing a series of good and bad behaviors unskillful skillful behaviors other than seeing that the, everyone has the basically the same set pure awareness behaviors social conditioning behavior skillful behavior and pure awareness that's everybody <laughs> that's you you're the same <laughs> just like me and you push a button just like me you react just like me you know no real there's differences and there's no differences and we start to see each other and if that that vision that attitude that perception disappears and something else comes in its place doesn't it familiarity of some kind and then certain kind of other other messages come on like national identities oh he's one of those What's that carrying? What's that carrying? <coughs> Remember the old, old, you know, is English attitudes can be very insular. You know, it's it's embarrassing, and yet I think partly because of this, it is an island, and you know, history has often mean that certain events on the continent haven't taken over on Britain. There's a feeling of definitely being separate, and along with that. The feeling that, you know, those, you know all about those people on the other side of the water, don't you? You know, <laughs> they're all a bit. <laughs> you know, Italians are wildly excited. Germans are, you know, ferociously dogmatic and rigid. <laughs> French or whatever, you know. And it sort of, sort of still lingers there. And, and I remember we, when we used to go to France when I was very, very young, you had this fundamental attitude that because they were a bit stupid, they couldn't speak English, so you had to shout it at them a little louder until they understood. Because <laughs> they weren't gifted enough to speak you know, the great language, which is English. Somewhere you've got that kind of attitude that everybody outside of Britain was, was lost. <laughs> And you never, you never say it, and I'm sure it hardly even manifests as a thought, but at some under fundamental level, there's that, that kind of conceit that can come when you identify with, I guess, with, an, with your own with a nationality, 
and you identify other people as a nationality. You know, so just at that level. And you get things like gender things, you know. Well, it's pretty smart for a woman, wasn't it? God, you know. Because women, we all know, you know, we don't say it, but they'll be kind of confused, emotional, overwhelmed with stuff. <laughs> Thinking, wow, what a... And you actually start to look at things. No, it's not true. So once you start to see anybody as anything, you know, including yourself, then the process of, of accurate assessment and respect disappears. You know, you can, you can kind of sort of like people in these stereotype ways or it's kind of liberal attitudes like even you are a bit, bit dim and depraved I like you anyway <laughs> <laughs> you know it's always called liberalism yeah. how they didn't um, Sister Coda was telling you and just how people didn't recognise slavery for hundreds of years you know, people who were probably all kinds of high ideals, you know, looked after their families, worked hard, believed in God, love, truth, didn't recognise you've got, you got five slaves and, you know, and didn't actually see what was happening with that. And uh, you can have this sort of, oh yeah, yeah, just them. You name it, you fill in the blanks, you know, ethnic groups, genders, status, poor people are stupid, unworthy, whatever it is, money, things like this. And you feel, you know, this in a way is where, you know, the Dhamma and the Vinaya work together. They're saying, you can't afford any behaviour to go unregarded, unexamined because you can be carrying a whole mass of ignorance behind behaviours that at one level don't seem that significant but they just keep emphasising your own position, your own viewpoints your own attitudes, your own biases your own ways of perceiving other people you know and it's that solidity of perception that is one manifestation of the biggest obstacle for awakening. Yeah. And based upon that, what comes up, you know, rights and wrongs, doesn't it? Yeah. <clears throat> prejudices and views, the ability to think I know better than you. Yeah. My perceptive view is accurate. Yeah. I can do things for your good. <laughs> yeah. So, when we actually, what, do you respect others? Mm. Doesn't mean you understand everybody. It doesn't mean you really enjoy everything everybody else does. 
It doesn't mean you're tremendously emotionally uplifted by other people. Do you, do you actually respect them? Do you actually consider others as this is a human being? This also, there's pure awareness and there's behaviors you know, that are affected, you know, that are carried, that carry all kinds of feelings and impressions. How do we, how do we go, how do we handle that in, in ourselves and in each other? How do I handle that in you? How do I see that in you? How do I perhaps help you to remember your own purity, your own clarity, and help you to remember to look at um, where you're getting caught. This to me is that is, you know, where respect is such a, you know, a crucial and really beautiful term. It's not a matter of saying, you know, we can use respect in a very wrong way. I think like you're better than me. I respect you because you're better than me. No, that's not it. It's not that. That isn't respect. It's not a power thing or a status thing. It's we respect the human nature. And uh, we handle it with respect. And that feels good. Mm. As I start to do that towards others, it comes back to myself. I do that to myself, it's going to come back to others. And there's a sense of real um, stillness about that. We're not flustered, we're not fluttering, we're not prevaricating, we're not waffling, we're not missing the point, we're actually getting to the place where, uh-huh, right, you know, there's a stepping back and a, and a firmness that can come into our mind. So it's often, uh, you know, something we offer each other. But essentially, all you can ever offer to other person is, you know, an encouragement for them to, you know, see in themselves. That's, you know, I can't tell you. I can say what I see, but you're you're sitting on it. You're the one who's gonna. And rather than have this, and my feeling is rather than just sort of, uh, you know, wait until somebody points it out, why can I just at least every day acknowledge, you know, what's, what, what the feeling is. The mind is um, speeding away, unconnected, um, careless, or it's heavy, or it's carrying residues, what's happening here? Mm. And sometimes it's actually the case that there's that feeling of, I realize actually, no, you you haven't done anything wrong. No, it's no no behavior wrong. It's just been a day when there was, you know, a lot of difficult stuff happening. It wasn't wasn't yours. 
because without self-assessment, you know, everything tends to become sort of mixed together as as one's own praise and blame. You know, you praise, you go, oh, well, I'm feeling really good, wonderful, fantastic, and then blame, oh, a bunch of rubbish. And it's either of those you want to actually look at the praise, is that accurate or not? Is there something worthy in yourself or not? Uh-huh. If there is, that's good, good. Then we'll increase that. When there's blame, you want to look at, is that true or not? Is there something there or not? There's something there that's blameworthy. So, oh, this is not worthy of me. You know? Instead of just going into kind of flushes of ups and downs all the time. <laughs> you know? So I think this is a really, this is where we all live, isn't it? The world, praise, blame, gain, loss. You know? And so it's a, a very important practice to be able to tease out some of these experiences and see how much of it sticks how much of it um, do we are we able to penetrate and see through anyone